It's time to accelerate. Hi, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Join me as I host conversations with the leading experts in sales, marketing, sales automation, sales process, leadership, management, training, coaching, any resource that I believe to help you accelerate the growth of your sales, your business, and most importantly, you. Hello, and welcome to Accelerate. Joining me on the show today is Libby Gill. She's an executive coach, author, speaker, CEO of Libby Gill and Company. Libby, welcome to Accelerate. Thank you, Andy. Happy to be here. Well, so take a minute, introduce yourself. That was a fairly skeletal introduction. Tell us a little bit about what you do. And- okay. Well, I started my career uh, in Hollywood. I worked in the studios for, uh, gosh, almost 20 years, my What'd whole you first do? career. I started in the PR department of a company that had been founded by Norman Lear, who's mm-hmm. really a, a legendary TV yeah. guy. Yes. And thinking, wow, what a great opportunity working in this small, mid-sized company and, you know, great chance to get your hand into everything. And then that company was very quickly purchased by Columbia Pictures and then Coca-Cola and then Sony. And I I have found uh, chaos is very good for uh, opportunity. So I just kept raising my hand. And in five years, I went from being a, a an assistant in the PR department of Norman's company to being vice president of publicity, advertising and promotion in Sony's worldwide television group. Wow. So wow. raising my hand and thinking, well, I'll just figure that out later. Served, served me very well. And uh, I went on from there to Universal and Turner Broadcasting, where I headed up public relations, corporate communications, and then decided, you know, I've kind of done that. I've worked on a million different shows. I was always on the TV side of the business and decided I would do what I loved the most, which was helping people succeed. I always had the biggest, youngest, greenest staff at the studio. And my job, as I saw it, was to turn them into leaders. And that's what I love doing. So coaching was was a relatively new field at about that time. And I thought, you know, that, that's got my name on it. I think I'm going to do that. So I, I uh, studied up and took my skills that I had learned in the corporate world mm-hmm. and became, became a first-time entrepreneur in my, in my mid-40s. Fantastic. Right? Yeah, it's been fun. It's 16 years now, so it, uh, something worked. Yeah, something worked. Yeah, that's what I'd say. I'm like you. I've had my business for, yeah, 16, almost 17 years now. And, and uh, yeah, I would never have thought necessarily when I started. Be Wow. That'd be the, the, <laughs> the longest duration job I've had. So I love the boss. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there now. I've caught up, just about caught up with my time in the corporate world. Yeah, so. very interesting. Very inter- yeah, right. Well, one of the topics we want to talk about today, because you work with, with you know, as part of your coaching business, you work with people on this, is this idea of personal branding. And this has really become a hot topic over the last year or two, as certainly as, you know, the growth of the internet, social media, and so on. The need for people to create... A personal brand, a digital brand, if you will, to some degrees, for both a professional and, and personal level. I mean, or at least one that's congruent between the two. So, why do you think that's becoming to the fore so much these days? 
Well, I think I, I think you nailed it with in terms of social media and the internet. There's so many people out there now that we that have access to us that we have access to that are just on the radar. And, you know, that's sort of good news, bad news. I have uh, mixed feelings about the overnight celebrities and citizen journalists and all those things. I mean, there's there's a place for all of that. Mm-hmm. But it, it makes for experts and, and real thought leaders and serious business people really have to stand out. They really have to delineate who they are, what they do, for whom they do it in a way that is uh, catchy and thoughtful. It's hard to be pithy and thoughtful at the same time, but that's really the challenge so that you can establish yourself in in all these situations because who you are in a live presentation or a, a small meeting versus Twitter, Facebook, you know, wherever you show up, Instagram, a podcast, and they all have to come from some authentic core. And yet you have to fashion all those personas slightly differently to fit those platforms. Yeah, it's, so, it's it's interesting. The sort of the takeaway, if you will, is in some degree, is that you know the technology that we and the world we live in has facilitated the rise of the quote unquote instant expert that now becomes noise that makes it hard for real expertise to rise to the surface. It, it does, and at the same time, it's it's a good thing that we can now. Uh, edit a movie or create a symphony and all of that from our own laptops. So we've been afforded all sorts of possibilities that didn't exist a a decade ago. And and that's a great thing, I think. But it does, uh, it it enhances that sort of sense of ADD that so many of us have, that there are all these mediums and all these things that we want to devote time and attention to. And we are so scattered that learning how to create that consistent brand that can be strong enough, attractive enough, catchy enough, and yet reach your core audience, reach the right people becomes, it becomes a real challenge. It can be very difficult to figure out, you know, in this world of infinite possibilities and connections, who am I? Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's absolutely true. When I think about this, you know, we have a large portion of the audience as a sales audience. And, you know, the branding, as you talked about, is standing above the noise really essential because yeah at the company level at the product level there's so much noise now and it's so easy for technology to be copied brought to market quickly you know people are confronting more and more as sellers they're confronting more and more competition out there but really that first line of differentiation is really them as the individual in the mind uh, mind's eye of the buyer so yeah they need to be able to and we'll want to dig into this is, you know, how do they build this brand that's about being the trusted advisor, being a value creator, being a problem solver for their customers? Right. And there's so many different ways that people do this. And, and the I think the biggest part of the challenge is, is you have so little time to establish that, certainly online. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we've all heard that people come to your website and they'll give it three seconds before they decide if they're going to stick around and read a blog or bounce to something else. We just, those, those endless options. And it's interesting, there was a great study about options and lots of options. Having some options is a great thing. Living in a world where we've got options and we were, we were joking, Andy, about one percenters, we've got a lot of options available. Having too many options can just shut people down. And certainly you know this as a sales expert. Mm-hmm. Uh, a, a few options, great thing. 
lots and lots and lots of options. You just confuse your your customer and you you leave them not knowing where to even begin. And of course, confusion is the end of of the sale the selling cycle. You you want to be clear and consistent. Yeah, well, I, I mean, Schwartz talks about that in his books. The paradox of choice is is just using I think I think it was salad dressings was the example he gave about. Yeah, you know, when he was growing up, there's maybe half a dozen selections of salad dressing on the, the grocery shelf aisles. Now there could be, you know, 10, 10 feet of shelf space with six different shelves covering, you know, 100 choices. Oh, absolutely. I, my Maybe it's, a, it's the gender difference. I use blue jeans. Like, remember when you would buy a pair of Levi's? Yeah, that was it. And yeah. now you can go into to virtually any store. I mean, from a Target to a specialty store, and you know there are going to be dozens of choices, which to me is like, oh, forget it. I'll just hang on to these a while longer. It can really make it difficult if you, if you don't narrow it down. So let's talk about this process then of of building a brand, let's say as a trusted advisor, you know, if you're in you know sales or some sort of position where you know you're you know, we'll call it influence professional, if you will, as as people sometimes call it. Mm-hmm. Is you know, how do you develop this this persona, you know, this brand? <laughs> But it's interesting. I think the the closer you come to your own truth, the kind of warts and all who you really are, the more interesting your brand becomes. But of course, you've got to think about your your end user and your customer. But going back to yourself, I always ask entrepreneurs, especially new ones, is, you know, what are your skills and strengths? You've got to be very clear about what you're good at. That's foundational. Next, what are your passions? Because who wants to lock into a career that you don't really want? And if you've got multiple services, no, or products, I'm more of a service person than I am. I I work much more with experts than I do physical products. Mm -hmm. You've got to understand is, um, is is what are your passions, what are your strengths and skills, and then finally, what does the marketplace want from me? What do they truly want that you have to offer? And that's the very beginning. I mean, I think some people, when they come to me, they think their brand is, it's about my website and my logo and my company name, and it, of course it is about all those things. But if you haven't the, nailed the who am I? What do I do? How do I deliver it? And who is my ideal customer first? It's really hard to express your brand in a meaningful way. But let's assume you've nailed that. You've got that. Then it becomes looking at, you know, how do you make those expressions of your brand? And, and everybody's got their version of the, the elevator pitch. I, I tend to think of your value statement. What is it I do for others? And if you can very simply fill in the blanks of, you know, my name, we all get that question that we think is not coming, but whether you're sitting next to somebody on an airplane or you're at a, a conference, somebody, if not many people are going to say, so what do you do? Mm-hmm. And and even though we know it's coming, many of us sort of stumble over that. And we've got to be able to clarify that value very quickly without being too clever and too cute. I think sometimes people sacrifice clarity for cleverness, and that never works. I I had a a client who was essentially a web designer developer who had some online venturist, you know, this long, wordy, overly clever title. And at the end of the day, he was a web guy. 
And had he said, I'm a web guy, it would have made a lot more sense to a lot more people. And granted, you know, there are a lot of people that can claim that. So we had to sort of venture on and get into what did that mean for him and how was it different? And and actually, he had a great sort of secret sauce to that because he was a web guy who could design and develop your site. But his slogan that he would get into later, and as a coach, I always listen for What's something different? What's something unique? What's something I haven't heard a thousand times? And this guy would say, without the all the other elements, the SEO and the you know the searchability, your site is a billboard in the woods, meaning nobody's ever going to find you. And that was one thing he had discovered as a web designer that people just didn't take into account. They wanted this great site. They wanted it to mirror sort of the look and feel and who they were, whether it was uh, whether it was artsy or hard hitting or or hip or, you know, a very solid citizen sort of a, a look and feel. But they didn't really think about how, how am I going to be found? And for him, that was what really propelled him forward, that he educated his customer mm-hmm. on, on the next step beyond having that great website. So brands should be very forward looking. They're, they're not positioning you for what you're doing yesterday and not even today. They take you and your customer to where you're going next. And I think when people think about that future focus, because our world is, it's turning very rapidly. And, and however you feel about where we are in the world today, um, it's, it's changes just is, is our, really is our only constant. And one thing I talk about when I go out and present, and I work with a lot of Fortune 500 companies as well, is that, that the process of change itself, the nature of change is changing. It's more, it's more persistent, it's more rapid, it's more complex, it's more complicated than ever. So our brand has to address that. And when you say we're influencers and problem solvers, you've got a nail in about five seconds. What is the problem you solve? What is it that you do for other people? And how quickly you can come to that. And then the style, because there could be you know, there's a gazillion coaches out there. And what is it they do that's different from what I do? Or podcasters, what do you do that's different? And, and your brand is so readily apparent because even though you've got offshoots, it's all about the sales process. And it's, it's all the variations and they're endless, really, but it all comes back to sales. And, mm-hmm. and I'm not the one to quantify or qualify your brand, but when I look at it, that's why don't you say nice things? Message. That's good. Yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> well, there's a great quote from Jeff Bezos, the of course the founder of Amazon, who says, "Your brand is what people say about you behind your back." Mm-hmm. And I think there's a lot of truth in that because your brand is really you've got one, and this is one thing, particularly in personal brands, it's not that you have to reach for it or create it. You've pretty much already got one, and it is what people feel and think and say about you. But it's up to you to hone and craft and refine and massage that brand as opposed to letting other people do that. And with the digital world and all the social expressions, if you don't take control of that by design, then it will just be assigned to you by by what people say. By mm-hmm. by default, you'll be given a brand, and, and I don't think anybody wants that. No, no, not a, <laughs> no. That's that's not the outcome you want. When I think that when you're, I was sort of writing a note as you're talking. It's like, yeah, your your elevator pitch, but it's almost like you know you're coming up with a a metaphor. Mm-hmm. You know, if you have a really succinct metaphor, and you talk about you know 
a website without SEO is like a billboard in the woods. Um, right. Yeah, that, that becomes very powerful, right? Mm-hmm. It right. seems like that's what you're really, to some degree, you're really trying to boil it down to. Right. Is, you know, put the thought in to say, okay, well, and you, you can almost call it a slogan, I guess, but it it becomes your story. Well, it's it's your story. I, I think it's the and your slogans are powerful. I mean, we all know um, just do it and uh, diamonds are forever. And, you know, sometimes when I speak about branding, I'll throw those logos up and ask people for the slogan. And it's, you know, they remember it. You hear that enough and it's catchy and it's interesting to, to find out the story behind those logos. But your your brand is really your backstory is why do you have this passion? Why do you care about this? Why does it speak to you? Because that's really important. And then the, the front story is really what do you do for other people? And when those are married authentically, your, your backstory and your, your business story uh, overlap and they, they're truly one, then it makes sense to people. I mean, that's one reason I talk about branding is capturing the mind share. It's really about getting into somebody's head and heart. And it's for me, and and I'm not an SEO person, or you know, I, I know and I know enough to be dangerous, but mm-hmm. I'm no ex- expert in those areas. It's about emotional connection, and that's to me what a brand is. Is and and it's it's so fascinating. In the past, businesses relied so much on tools like customer surveys, and you know, people standing at the airport with the clipboard asking you questions, or when you come out of a movie, a focus test, that sort of thing. That's how we looked at people's how they made consumer decisions and how those decisions formed habits over time. But now we've got all this great brain scanning equipment and MRIs and all these things that researchers can really peek inside somebody's brain. And what they've discovered in this this sort of uh, this neuromarketing science is that people feel first and think second. And of course, and then it's no surprise. That's how we that's how we've stayed alive. That's how we've we've got our, our fight or flight syndrome, all of those things. But it goes a step further in terms of marketing. So your consumers may say that they prefer Diet Coke, but their brain and the scans really show that they like Pepsi. And so we've got to take into account that this whole brand process is education and that we are in we're first appealing to the the heart because if you don't get people on that feel first, that emotional basis, you're not going to get to the business level. Yeah, and that's what really, and especially in a business to business sales environment. I mean, this is really so critical, and I've written about this in both my books so far. Is that that it's that first moment that you actually encounter somebody that the perceptions are being formed, and they're being formed at a subconscious level. I mean, the, I think the scientists call it precognitive processing, where you know, you're forming a perception of someone without even being aware of it. Right. And it takes place and, within a quarter of a second. Right. So the, the, that's, that's pure emotion right there. Pure emotion. And brands that everybody cites, like, um, oh, Starbucks and, you know, all the Apple and all the sites, uh, all the big brands that do this very well, have this deep understanding of that connection. I mean, Starbucks for years has said it's it's not about the coffee, it's about the community. But one thing, and of course, that's true. And they built this cafe community in the U.S. that didn't really exist here. And now, interestingly, even though they've cloned it from European cafes and that sort of thing, uh, Starbucks is taking over in some of those areas as well. But one thing they do so 
well from the get-go is is sort of a multi-sensory 360 kind of brand so that the Starbucks logo now is is recognizable by toddlers um, that mermaid they may not even know that it's a mermaid on the <laughs> brand you really have to look at it it's sort of like the McDonald's arches you they know what that big green circle with that sort of lady figure is and it's so recognizable and then you open the door and as adults we get that immediate rush of of all of the senses we hear the coffee grinder we hear the music they're playing you smell the coffee you the banter with the people I mean it's across the board it hits every sense before we even think about what's my coffee choice or why am I here? It's that feel good moment. Now, if you don't like coffee and you don't like that smell or that noise, you opt out. And that's also in the sales process, as you know, Andy, you don't want to spend time with somebody who's not a customer. You want them to turn around and walk away to go to the coffee bean or their neighborhood. Um, or if you're a salesperson, you walk away from them because <laughs> they're not a prospect, right? Right, exactly. So it's it's really identifying, establishing, and then seeing if your brand hits on all those multiple levels. And that, to me, is that mind share piece that has to happen before market share is going to happen. You can't say, I'm going to go after this customer and hit them over the head with all of my fabulous skills and benefits, which, of course, have to come in. But as you said, not until you've gotten past that first moment of connection. Yeah, so... Getting down to this level about sort of detail level about building the brand and you know we talked about digital earlier is so you know as you're working with with your clients and you're helping with this what do you see as sort of the I don't know more frequent pitfalls you see them running into when they start taking this you know out of sort of the personal realm out into the social realm. Well, one thing is I, I think people don't think about their end game early enough. And if, if you're going to go to the, the trouble and the expense to build a social platform and your website and all of those things, it, it's really it's not just one big end game. Oh, I want to be rich and successful. Like, right. Who doesn't? But what are the steps along the way? Where will you be connecting with customers? What is the consistent message that you're going to build across all of these brands? And I I see people coming with who've jumped into building the website, starting their social media, putting their editorial calendar, all of these things together without thinking who's, as they like to say in, in marketing, who's your avatar? Who's your ideal customer? Who more than anybody do you want to attract? And then backing into how does every piece of your brand connect with that person? Because, of course, it, 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 even though that first moment is critical, it doesn't mean somebody's going to buy your five or $25,000 program because they like the look or the sound of your voice or the homepage on your website. It is those multiple touch points. And at every one, I see people understanding that they've got to reach out on multiple occasions and in different ways. But I think at each touch point, whether that's a tweet or a conversation, a phone or a direct mailing, which people don't do so much anymore, which is why it's attractive again, is that you've got to deepen the value. You've got to give something additional, occasionally something surprising, something people would pay for that you're offering for free. I mean, you've really got to shower your people with with sort of love and information up front before you're going to get their trust and and their loyalty, certainly. Well, do you find that there's there's um, you know difference in serving the in different age ranges about you know the facility for for building the brand? I mean, it's it's 
there's been other some studies showing that actually, you know, oddly enough, like on uh, certain social platforms like LinkedIn and so on, the studies show that actually people sort of 45 and older actually were doing a better job of crafting their personal brand online because they understood it was about the personal relationships. I, and I think LinkedIn does skew a little bit older because it's it's more for people who are a little bit more mature. Not necessarily. I mean, my son has a killer LinkedIn page, mm-hmm. and he's a he's a grad student. Um, but um, it does make a lot of sense for older people. It's a lot about networking, professional networking, and and job search. It's so much of that. But definitely, there are things that appeal to. There are obviously a lot of younger people on Snapchat, Instagram, and some of the other you know whatever pops up tomorrow that you and I haven't even heard of yet. Um, Often younger people have. But one thing in my book, Capture the Mindshare, I did a lot of research on and found really powerful was that the mom community, which is very powerful online, there are tons of mom bloggers, and they're not just about parenting, they're about finance and fitness and everything else, health and wellness. And millennials, the, the youngsters, and I've got two of my own, they really look at what are you doing to save the world and the planet and other people. They want to know what your your advocacy is. What do you do that's socially responsible and significant? And all things being equal, moms and millennials, and of course some other people as well, will choose the company or the individual that's making a deep contribution to society. And they want to know what it is. Or is it about education? Is it about in the environment? Is it about um, hunger? You know, they, they really want to know where you stand on a lot of these issues. And that's become, I think that that's become a real signature of the millennials. And, and as much as people complain, I mean, I hear from, you know, baby boomers and traditionalists and older managers that, you know, want to want to slap their millennials. They feel like they're so entitled. And that's sort of painting all of them with one brush. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, I, personally, I mean, I, I've, as a parent of two millennials as well as and being exposed to you know, a lot of companies that have been started by millennials, it's like, yeah, this generation is as hardworking and as exciting and as educated as, as any that's come before it. I think so, too. And, and I do find that they're, they're deeply committed. And, and I think it's just been a change in our world, in the way, in their mindset, in the world they grew up in. And millennials grew up with things like terrorism and ATMs and, you know, God forbid you would get up to change the channel on your television. That's like, you know, what our grandparents did. They can't even, you know, I remember the first time my son. I can't remember that. We were visiting a friend and my son said, Mom, what's this? And I thought, oh, my gosh, what did he find? It was a typewriter. Yeah. And he was a little guy. It was a typewriter. He'd never seen an old fashioned typewriter, which, of course, he immediately wanted because it's the like vinyl LPs have come back because there's this nostalgia that young people didn't grow up with. So there's a level of awareness. And again, it, it's you can't paint them all the same. Millennials are not all technical geniuses either. I mean, they certainly grew up with it. Uh, being more adept at technology than many of us because it's been around since their infancy. But it doesn't mean they're all going to be coders. Uh, There are many that are interested in social issues or history or all sorts of other things that are sort of in the more in the the um, the liberal arts sort of world than they are in the technology world. But there is definitely a mindset for social interaction, online interaction, for 
taking care of people and planet that doesn't necessarily exist with the, the with older generations. Well, I think it's really an interesting point as you bring out in terms of of social responsibility and and as part of your personal brand is is yeah, I mean having having a sincere passion for something that's that's uh, other than outside yourself, other than yourself becomes important in the eyes of many customers. Yeah, it, it resonates uh, with them. And one reason, several years ago, I, I switched on my my uh, company uh, holiday cards and gift giving that I did. You know, I thought, you know, the, the world, or at least my customers, they have enough chocolate and canned sweets and wine mm-hmm, and all mm-hmm. that kind of stuff and started doing things that were much more, I thought, socially relevant. And this past year gave away um, – Oh, didn't give away, but purchased a education for a, a, a young woman through Kiva.com. And, mm-hmm. um, and my and I sent it out in the name of my clients. And they were incredibly receptive and grateful that I had done we'd done a year's education for a young woman uh, in a in a developing country. And it was, you know, in your name. And people really responded to that. They were very appreciative. And not just the millennials, but people in general really had a great response to that. And I, I feel like that's we're, we're living in a world where people want to know that you're, you're making a difference, not just in your customer's life because they paid you and they expect you to do it, but on a broader scale, that that's what you believe in and that's how you act. Yeah. Very interesting. Well, good. Well, I mean, Libby, it's been great talking with you. So tell folks how they can find out more about you and get in touch with you. They can find me. It's pretty easy. Keeping with a simple brand, it's LibbyGill.com, and I welcome any of your listeners' emails, phone calls. All of my information is on my contact page, or they can email me directly at Libby at LibbyGill.com. Excellent. Well, good. Well, thanks again for being on the show. My pleasure, Andy. Thank you for having me. And friends, thank you as always for taking the time to spend with me today and with my guests. And remember, make it a part of your day every day to deliberately learn something new to help you accelerate your own success. And one way to do that is make sure you join my conversations with top business experts like my guest today, Libby Gill, who shared her expertise about how to accelerate the growth of your business. So thanks for joining me. And until next time, this is Andy Paul. Good selling, everybody. Thanks for listening to the show. If you like what you heard and want to make sure you don't miss any upcoming episodes, please subscribe to this podcast on iTunes or Stitcher.com. For more information about today's guests, visit my website at andypaul.com.